0: still think we're going to go back to that la la land we were in for 40 years of deflation. And and we're not, in my opinion, we're not. This is the 70s on steroids. There is going to be a lot of inflation in the next 10 years. And that's going to have enormous implications for all investment classes. That's going to be very positive for Bitcoin and gold.
1: You can be anything you want when you have a 60% total debt to GDP. You can be the inflation fighting Batman and yeah, you can take rates 20%, but do that when it's 120% of GDP and growing because our deficits, spending and fiscal spending and all this stuff, I build a bridge to heaven and a bridge to Pennsylvania from fucking Seattle. Hey, dude, can't fucking suck and blow, okay? You can either spend the money and go into a debt spiral or you can... Keep interest rates artificially low, but you can't do
2: both, okay? Hello, everybody. Welcome to Swan Signal, the best place to get your Bitcoin signal brought to you by Swan Bitcoin. My name is Sam Callahan. I'll be your host today. Uh, But first, I wanted to share some things that we're building at Swan that we're excited about. Uh, The first is we recently launched an app, so you can find that on iOS or Android download it. Let us know what you think. Uh, we think uh, it's a great app to kind of just learn about Bitcoin as well as buy Bitcoin, start a Bitcoin savings plan. Uh, so check it out. Uh, it's, it's just on any app store that uh, you can access. Uh, the other thing is we just launched um, Swan IRA. So it's an IRA product. If you look over at other proxies that you could get like GBTC or mining stocks. Uh, we think that the Swan IRA product is a great way to get access to the underlying Bitcoin. Uh, you don't have to deal with any of those uh, nuances or complications that come from investing in those proxy assets. And so check out the Swan uh, IRA product today. And um, today we have a great show for you. So we got some two experienced guests with us. Uh, we got Mr. Greg Foss and Larry Lepard. So uh, Larry Lepard. Um, is currently has over 40 years of investing experience. He's currently the investment manager at Equity Management Associates. And then we got Greg Foss, who brings 35 years of experience navigating the markets, primarily in fixed income. Uh, he's also a business owner and an investor and just an all-around mensch. So uh, welcome, guys. It's, it's great to have you on the show.
0: Nice to be here, Sam.
1: Great introduction. Thanks so- for having us, Sam.
2: Yeah, yeah, Foss, of course. Um, I just wanted to kick it. I just want to jump into it because uh there's a lot going on. Um, you know, personally, I find the current market pretty difficult to read. Um, if I'm being honest, it's it's very confusing and challenging time to read the market as an analyst. Uh, you have um, you know, stocks and Bitcoin are raging into the new year, but all of these macroeconomic indicators like PMIs, retail sales. Housing starting to roll over. They're telling a totally different story uh, than asset prices. So, how are you guys reading these crazy markets right now? Let's uh, let's throw it to Larry first.
0: Yeah. So, um, I'm, you know, I'm glad to hear you say that, Sam. And you're not alone. I mean, Dan Druckenmiller came out recently and said this is the toughest macro climate he's seen in his 40 years of investing. And I would have to agree. Uh, you just got so many cross currents. You know, you. Um, traditionally, you would think that we, with all this tightening, that the economy would be in a complete tailspin. But there's so much free money still out there floating around that it's taking some time to have impacts. And and you've got just a lot of you know, a lot of conflicting data. So while I'm quite confident that we're on the right side in the longer term, and I think Greg would agree as as he says it's simply just math. Uh, in the shorter run, it feels like anything could happen. You know, obviously we've been having a big rally in the stock market. It makes no sense. It's overvalued. Um, mm-hmm. Wall Street's still calling for higher earnings this year. I don't see it, not with the wage pressures and I think softer demand. Uh, the employment numbers are all over the place. Of course, they probably just make them up, so it's very hard to tell what's going <laughs> on there. Um, Inflation is definitely cooling, no doubt about that. But but it's be interesting how much it cools. I mean, oil's come down from 120 to 70 ish, but it seems to be pretty sticky in the 70 area. And now that we're not draining the strategic petroleum reserve, that might reverse. So a lot of stuff going on it's um you know and and of course you got a bear market and our stuff and the sound money stuff but uh you know i'm pretty i feel pretty good about where we are i feel pretty good about where we're going but i don't know if we're going there in a day or if we're going there in six months or a year it's gonna take it might take some time
1: yeah absolutely what about you Foss? so yeah i can't argue with larry um the world has turned into a uh, very short term oriented in terms of the investing timeframe. Everyone is a trader. Um, everyone is got FOMO in one direction or another. A lot of this rally in my opinion is driven by sector rotation cup, coupled with um, um, your short covering. So what you have is a, you know, Value stocks had a bid going into the end of the year, and uh, everyone was selling NASDAQ. But when you get off some on that, you get afraid of not being weighted to your benchmark. Um, you tend to cover some short covering uh, in the in the long duration assets, which are, uh, you know, you think of tech stocks. I think I can break it down into one simple trade. Larry, you tell me what you think. It's all a function of the DXY. And the strength or weakness of the US dollar relative to other global fiat currencies. Um, as you know, DXY topped out around 114 and had been on a uh decline since then. That was coupled with some stabilization in the equity markets and certainly risk assets, emerging markets. But coupled with that is going to be a very diff outcome for the Fed because as the US dollar weakens against its There's only six of them in the basket, primarily the Euro and the Yen are the two main uh, counter uh, or components. You'll have oil, which is priced US dollars. As the US dollar weakens, oil will strengthen and that'll put pressure on the Fed because of inflation. So I like to break it down in terms of uh, the DXY. When the DXY weakens, you see gold rally, you see risk assets rally. To an extent, I think the recovery in Bitcoin is a function a little bit of uh, both DXY and I don't believe it, but uh, you know I don't believe in it, but the market does in a risk-on attitude. So if I had to say one thing and watch DXY as an indication of uh, whether we're on the wrong side of the trade in the long term or not, um, and uh, the DXY is, I need to stress to everybody, all sees are melting cubes. It's just a relative rate of decay that is represented in the DXY. So the DXY means that the U.S. dollar is not, it, it's certainly debasing and it was debasing far less severely than the Japanese yen and the, and the euro. But since the Japanese moved their uh, their peg on their yield curve control, that has caused the yen, yen to strengthen. So we all know that it's a race to the uh to the bottom in fiats but the uh DXY measures it as a relative rate of decline. Everybody knows when the DXY when the DXY weakens risk assets get a bid so that covered with short covering don't overlook the long term uh, hard assets win and DXY weakens.
2: Yeah you I really see it yeah, you've, you've seen the Dixie yeah. kind of drop uh, into the Q4. And now, actually, just now we've seen it kind of spike back up. And now we're seeing some more headwinds to uh, risk assets and, and things like Bitcoin after this recent rally. But, uh, you know, Foss, you tweeted something the other day. It said, in what part of your house does fiat live? In <laughs> the basement. <laughs> Which I just love. But... It kind of it kind of like leads to this like all roads lead to currency debasement, which is why I think we we all agree on this call that you know hard money is a place where maybe you'd want to be. And so, Larry, I'm glad you're here because I I wanted to talk about gold. Sure. Um, you know, gold and Bitcoin are often grouped together as forms of hard money. You know, Bitcoiners would say no, 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 but um, other people would say you know perhaps gold and Bitcoin could rise uh, together for a short period of time as both being hard money. Gold's been on a tear to end of the year uh, but now it's dropped off it kind of tapped nine, uh, 1960 dropped down $100 or so and we saw the highest central bank buying since 1967 over 1000 tons were bought uh, over the last year how do you view gold and bitcoin and and do you see them competing against one another right now or do you think perhaps they could rise together or complement well each other
0: No they're, they're you know as I've always said Sam I mean gold is analog sound money and bitcoin is digital sound money and- Bitcoin's the future and it's superior because its stock to flow will be lower and it's got a lot of other superior qualities. But of course, you know, not not tomorrow, right? I mean it takes this yeah. is a big chance this is a big transition and you know it's gonna take a while for the gold for the Bitcoin market to flip the gold market. But I think they will trade together. If you examine how they did in the in the twenty twenty period, gold moved first. Gold is more broadly distributed. I think it's pretty good at sniffing out turns in monetary policy. At least it always has been as as long as I've watched it. And my view is it started to sniff the fact that we're close to the peak rate and that, that Powell, even though he's pretending to be Volker, he really can't be vulgar because he knows if he did so, he'd greater create the world economy. And so gold has started to sniff that out. And then what happens is like in nineteen in 2020, Bitcoin may lag a little bit, but when it comes out, it comes on real strong and, and greatly outperforms gold. And I think that'll happen this time around too. So you know they're, they're they're trading very much similarly, and they can both win versus all other fiats. I mean, you know, they're, they're or versus all fiat. I mean, they're very small in the in the scope. I mean, Greg and I argue about the size. Whether you want to say the total market is 400 trillion or 700 trillion, it doesn't matter. But trillions of fiat related shit in the world, and there's what 380 billion dollars of Bitcoin, and maybe five trillion dollars of tradable gold. I mean, there's more if you include what's in museums and stuff. So um you know it doesn't take much i mean they, they're, they're both going to go up as we you know debase as, as greg points out so um i wanted to just add something else though kind of why it's so confusing right now i mean i just wanted to check my charts i mean this reminds me very much of the spring of 2008 i don't know how much people were around or active in the market at that time but the market peaked out the stock u.s stock market peaked out and I, I watched the stock market greg watches the bond market i watched the stock market. They're both important, but the stock market tells you there's a lot of wealth effect in the stock market. And in 2007, the summer the Bear Stearns funds blew up, and at that point in time, the housing stuff started to roll, and it rolled pretty hard from the summer of 07 into March of 08. And then you got a very nice bounce in the stock market, and everybody thought it was over, you know, the the correction in the stock market, and that bounce didn't last. I think that's what we're seeing right now in the stock market, and whether it goes another week or another month or two months, I don't know. But I think this stock market is going to roll and roll hard. And at that point in time, you know, I mean, the market, in fact, the, the, forward, the Fed futures forwards market is already saying that the Fed funds rate will be lower at year end, implying that, you know, bad economy coming as a result of the 210 spread. And therefore, you know, when that happen, when, when that bad economy comes, the Fed will cut rates because it's more important. I mean, right you know, up until now, inflation has been the biggest problem. But as they redefine the inflation statistics, which they're pretty good at doing, you know, the inflation is going to calm down. And as it starts to calm down, it won't get to two, but they'll be able to say, well, it's on its way to two. And then they'll start to they'll, they'll say, we've reached our peak. Maybe there's one more hike. You know, that's the market saying there's one more 25 base point hike that takes you to five on the Fed funds rate. And then by the end of the year, maybe you're cutting again. And, you know, y- y- you get that going on and People are going to realize, I mean, I've said for a long time, Sam, I think Greg agrees with me, that when people realize that the government can never stop printing, I mean, Bitcoiners know that, gold people know that, but the average American doesn't really know it. They just know we've got an inflation problem. They think the Fed will solve it. When it becomes clear to them that they can't solve it, they're not solving it, that's the time at which the flows. And and by the way, when they, when the stock market, when their beloved stock market no longer rewards them for buying the dip, which it has really since '08. The stock market has rewarded all investors for buying the dip, and guess what? They just did it again. You know, they just they just bought the dip again, and you know they've been rewarded here. Um, but I think they're going to find out this time it's not going to work. And so when the stock market, you know, so what I'm watching like a hawk is the stock market, and as the stock market rolls, you know, then then the wealth effect, the negative wealth effect, is going to kick in. And, you know, we're going to we're going to see the next leg up in these risk assets. And these risk assets smell it. I mean, Bitcoin's up 40 percent. That's the other thing? Look at year to date. Look at what's happened since October. You know, Bitcoin and gold have been the two best performing assets. And you know, bonds have been a poor performing asset. Well, bonds have done okay. The dollar has been a terrible performing asset. And so, you know, that's the future. And right now, the stock market is counter trend. But I don't think the counter trend is going to last. because. You can't have earnings growth when you've got built-in five to eight percent wage pressure, you know. Yeah. And so we're going to have soft demand, and the biggest one of the biggest inputs to you know corporations is their labor cost. And because of all the inflation, labor costs are going up very, very aggressively. So, you know, and the stock market just doesn't realize that yet. I mean, it's it, and that's just because it's recency bias. It's all because of they're just looking back at the last, you know. 20 odd years where buying the dip made sense and they're going to find out it doesn't it have to be sense. cheap right
1: it has to be yeah. cheap larry because it's down so much last year right it's got to be cheap which That's is exactly absolutely right. I mean, the I've, wrong way to invest but
0: lots of people i've spoken to i know they say well you know i was down 20 percent last year and that really sucked but you know they say you just got to you got to hang on and take the good with the bad and this thing okay fine they haven't panicked yet we haven't seen any capitulation in the stock market yeah. a lot of cases, these are people's retirement savings. It's you know, it's all their savings outside of their house, and you know, they take another fifteen or twenty percent hit on it, and it's gonna, they're gonna have an oh shit moment, right? And that's gonna, that's gonna change things, I think.
2: Yeah, and they're not, they're not thinking about valuations, right? I, I believe oh, no. the stock market is, is still at levels of the two thousand dot com bubble.
0: Yeah, right? on, on a Buffett indicator basis, is the two thousand level? That, you know, the market to GDP or the, the multiple of sales. You know, it's, it's still where the 2000 bubble peaked and from the 2000 bubble peak to trough went down 50 percent in the S&P and Nasdaq went down 80 percent. I mean, that's ARC. ARK's already done that. But, you know, the, the, yeah, there's a there's a 50 percent downside potential in the stock market. And you wait when that starts to happen. You know, inflation's not going to be the Fed's concern. Preventing an economic cat- catastrophe is going to be the Fed's concern. And we're going to be right back to all the stuff that they did with COVID. You know they'll be cutting rates. They'll end Q T. They'll probably start doing subsidies. Blah 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 blah, right? And and that stuff is going to ignite sound money assets and
2: commodities. So. Yeah. Well, it's crazy because you look at the Wall Street estimates for for earnings, and they're still expecting earnings growth, right? Like yeah, six percent in twenty twenty three, seven percent in twenty twenty four. Yeah, my quarter. And of the I'm looking letter this, i looking at
0: I couldn't believe that. But but again, think about I, Wall Street's in the business of doing. I mean, they're in the business of selling stocks. Mm. You know, so they're not—they're not—they don't have incentive to be honest. They have incentive to make investors feel good.
2: You know, yeah, uh, for sure. I—I I, I would love, um, you know, we have two—we have two guys right here with a lot of experience, and uh, I'm a younger analyst. I haven't seen a, an entire business cycle. You guys have seen multiple business cycles, and so I actually wanted to ask you guys get get your um uh, experience about how right now compares to those global financial crises dot-com bubble and some of these other periods of 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 really volatile markets like do you guys see comparisons similarities maybe in the market behavior or how does it how is it different today versus then i would love to get your guys opinion on that
1: you go Foss. well larry pointed out okay so this reminded him of a of a time in uh the great financial crisis so sam to be clear The great financial crisis, as Larry pointed out, started in 2007 with the liquidation or the gating of the uh, subprime mortgage funds at Lehman and at uh, Bear Stearns. And if you remember, you probably don't, Larry certainly would, it was the summer of 2007 when Jim Cramer went on his famous rant of, they have no idea how bad it is out there, absolutely no idea. That, you know, and he was criticizing the Fed. And so the Fed cut rates and rescued the stock market um, into the spring of 2008. So that's what Larry was talking about. Everyone thought the worst was over, but subprime did not buy it for one iota. Okay. And so it subprime continued to melt down and that flowed through to Bear Stearns having to get taken over by Jimmy Diamond and JP Morgan. And then they let uh, Lehman Brothers fail. All of this took a period of uh, over almost two years, to be exact, because it started in the summer of 07 and ended in March of 09 with the S&P hitting 666, Okay, the sign of the devil. So basically, you had that amount of time for the markets to figure out that things were not all rosy. And if this the was- Head cut rates didn't mean that asset prices and home prices couldn't go down. And in fact, structured product like uh, uh, levered super senior um, subprime mortgage structures could go to zero. And many of those did go to zero. And that's because the system was so levered, right? Leverage allows things to go to zero because you are 25 times levered to your uh, risk-absorbing capital base Um, so it does remind me a little bit of 2007 and 2008 but what this really reminds me of more than anything is absolute denial of mathematics so it reminds me of grade 11 where people don't understand the mathematics of a Lynn Alden tweet for example and I thought was the most brilliant that I've seen this year and she sarcastically says, I can't believe the Fed published this, which showed a GDP um, level of debt to GDP that the Fed is projecting going forward as if it's natural to have 400% federal debt to U.S. federal GDP, or excuse me, U.S. GDP. So let's go back to some mathematics. Larry said, and he, he, I know he misspoke, cause he said total gold market was 400 trillion, no. Total financial assets in the world are between 400 trillion by Larry's uh, methodology and 900 trillion by my methodology, because I'm a debt guy. I put all debt in there. Think of enterprise value versus market cap. Okay. Nonetheless, we're splitting hairs when Bitcoin is 350 billion of a potential total addressable market, somewhere between $400 trillion and $900 trillion, we're getting too smart by a half in terms of how much Bitcoin could address this whole market. So I'm not going to argue with Larry over that. The only thing I'm going to agree with him on is that it's a spiral that cannot be solved. You have to print money. It is the error term. It's the only way solving this runaway debt spiral where your debt burden is building organically because of the coupon on the debt. Okay, guys, if you don't understand that, you failed grade 11 math. So everybody's running around trying to split hairs. And the reality is quantitative easing infinity, QE infinity, is built into the mathematics. It always has been. And the Fed can pretend they're going into QT for the short term. It doesn't work in the long term. So there will be a solution where the Fed has to blink and admit we have to print forever. So don't take your allocation to Bitcoin out of your gold basket. You take your allocation to Bitcoin out of your fixed income basket because fixed income is a contract and it's a debasing contract. It's built in fiat. And fiat is programmed to debase. So what are you going to take your allocation to Bitcoin? I don't care if there's Bitcoiners that don't like gold bugs and gold bugs who don't like Bitcoiners. You guys are missing the bigger picture here. It's so much bigger than the combination of gold and Bitcoin. It's about a Fed projection where they think it's normal that they're going to be able to borrow four times their revenue base or their GDP that's going to solve this debt spiral. This is what blows me away, Sam. We have never been here before. The point of no return is past. So we cannot compare this anywhere in history. It's, it started with a financial crisis. We rescued the system. First time in my life was the Latin American debt crisis. That's the first time we kicked the can down the road. Then it was long-term capital management. Then it was the great financial crisis. And then it was covid and now it is over you cannot compare this time to any other time because our debt burden is just so darn large the mathematics don't allow it to be solved any other way so we can look back to different periods but the reality is we've never been here before in terms of a global debt burden that is so large compared to global gdp if you can break that down by country and you could say, oh, my goodness, here's the crazy thing. In the end of World War II, the USA had a debt burden, just the federal debt that was right around 100% of GDP or one times. Hey, the USA was a trade exporter then, a global exporter. It doesn't work when you are a global importer. So, again, there's no other time in history because we have just been so irresponsible in building the debt burden you can't compare it to any other time. I don't want it to go kaboom, but unless they keep printing forever, it goes kaboom. So there's one solution, infinity, QE infinity. And we're gonna pretend inflation doesn't exist because we're gonna rewrite the definition of inflation to bring it down to this mythical 2%. It's- Inflation right. compounds, right. Okay, just because you can claim victory by bringing some stupid number down to a 2% annualized today, based on new mathematics, doesn't mean that you get out of jail for free for increasing it 15 or 25% annually on an equivalent basis a couple of years back. I have never been so sick of, to my stomach of the lying and fibbing that goes in. And anybody who's done any mathematics understands this except they're not allowed to say anything because ray dalio gets on tv and says he doesn't think the solution is going to be bitcoin and then describes what he thinks the solution is going to be and he fucking describes bitcoin like this is so acid and i've never seen anything like this so we're living in clown world 3.0 okay and the people running this clown world need to be challenged by the people who understand mathematics and it's not difficult math, guys. It's grade eleven math. So please keep challenging these people. They're lying through their teeth. It cannot be solved any other way.
2: Yeah, the- Larry, you got anything to add? <laughs> yeah, not really.
0: Foss <laughs> pretty much covered it. I, well, he's right. It, the, the problems at the sovereign debt level, which is bigger than all the prior ones, you asked the questions. How, you know, because we lived through them. How does this remind you of you know? the LATAM crisis or LTCM or the bursting dot-com bubble or 08? And the answer is yes. I mean, I've you know, we've seen this movie before. Um, it's bigger, it's deeper, it's more pervasive, it's worldwide and it's not in any one sector. I mean, when the dot-com bubble burst, the rest of the economy was healthy. It was just the tech stuff that got hammered. Of course, it dragged it was an important enough part It dragged down the whole economy. You know, U.S. housing was not worldwide commerce. I mean, this is this is at a sovereign level. So it's much bigger and it might take longer for it to play itself out. I mean, I must say one of the things that surprised me is that it hasn't come apart by now and that it's taking longer. But, you know, then I thought through it all and I realized, you know, when you create when you grow the money supply by 40 percent in two years, which is what they did. That's a lot of liquidity. Do you know what I mean? And so there's still there's still kind of a lot of echo boom around. And I don't think. I mean, I think we all know—at least those of us who are watching this stuff carefully—we know where this is going. I mean, there's very little doubt. It's Greg's point that it's math, but we don't really know the rate at which it's going to get there, because there's just so much free money still flowing around. And yeah, you know, it, it's it's going to take a or while. Or we can to solve it that way itself. too, Larry. Right?
1: Let's yeah. be clear. We can solve it that way too by just continuing to print money, and then the only outcome is fiat debasement. Okay, so prepare well, that's for right. fiat yeah. debasement. Yeah. And, and, I,
0: and I was talking to one of my kids today and I said, "Look, I honestly, you know, I think probably, I mean, inflation will be bad, but I think the healthiest way out of this whole thing for the entire world might be to actually, you know, keep the economy running and let the inflation run hot until we can, you know, inflate away this debt burden because you know, the alternative of everything blows up and we get an outright collapse, you know, that's going to cause a hell of a lot of pain as well. So, um, you know, it's unclear because we know the, pol- the policymakers are trying to walk that middle line between extreme deflation and extreme inflation. Um, but I, if, to the degree there is a middle line, it has to be an inflationary one because of what Foss talks about. You know, the mathematics de- dictate that, right?
1: Yeah, And be careful, though, guys. uh... Sorry, Sam, just to add, the only way that scenario works where Larry says we uh, inflate away the debt burden is with a degree or a measure of financial repression where yields are kept artificially or manipulated below the level of inflation, which is a Japanese-style solution. And we know that doesn't work long-term either. So it's just... It's just such a sickening prospect. So in that case, bonds are about the worst investment you could ever make in your life. And that being said, there's people who think that bonds are now a great purchase because you know we're almost taming the inflation beast. I'm not saying short bonds, but I would not use bonds as a store of value instrument over time compared to other hard assets. Bonds are soft assets. You need to store your money in hard assets.
0: I think I think that's the big deviant perception that I see in the market right now, Sam. Amongst professional investors, that people still think we're going to go back to that la la land we were in for forty years of deflation, and Mm -hmm. and we're not. In my opinion, we're not. This is the '70s on steroids. There is going to be a lot of inflation in the next ten years, and that's going to have enormous implications for all investment classes. It's going to be very positive for Bitcoin and gold.
2: That's It's worrisome to me because I, I ask myself, like, who owns all these bonds? And to me, it's, it's more older folks, right? Like retirees, right. pensions. Um, you know, have they woken up to this change at all? You know, like, because it just worries me thinking about these retirees who think that they're safe in these risk-free assets with bonds. And there's this purchasing power risk. There's this real inflation risk. If, yeah. they, if we are entering a period of financial repression... I mean, when are they going to think, when are they going to realize this reality, this, that we've had this huge shift that has occurred? Is it just going to take a long time for them to realize this? No, I think
0: sadly they're going to realize it in the next couple of years because, okay. you know, right now we're in a deflationary wave because Powell's trying to be, you know, Volcker. But, you know, we'll get, I mean, as Lynn also said in one of her great tweets, you know, I have no doubt they can get the inflation down. What they can't do is keep the economy r- running. Get the next wave of growth going without another wave of inflation. I mean, the, the notion that they're going to solve the inflation problem—that's that's the error. I mean, that's that's Greg's error function. You know, you can't, you know, you can't taper a Ponzi. You know, you've got just way too much debt that will collapse. I mean, already the government itself is in a doom loop. I mean, the run rate on the government interest expenses is approaching a billion, a trillion dollars a year. You know, I mean, total total tax. Revenues or four trillions—that's twenty-five percent of tax revenues, and that's and that's up markedly. A few years ago, that was three hundred, so that's it's more than tripled. And you know, if, if interest rates go from five to six or seven, uh, it's just game over. I mean, that. Well, it's uh,
1: already over. Uh, already over even with the well, interest rates true. at the current level. <laughs> so I guess we don't yeah. have to get too fancy, but it, you know, it's a great question, Sam. Look, you know, the people that own it, everybody. Because everybody has a 401k that's managed by some sort of um, uh, advisor who always goes by the 60-40 rule. 60-40 has always worked. You know what? 60-40 has worked for the last 40 years because the 40% that were in bonds were invested starting at rates. It started at an 18% Volcker era inflation fighting level and went down to close to under 1%, well, under 1% in the USA, and in some cases in Europe, negative. Now, try to describe a bond that's a saving instrument that produces a negative yield, and you've rewritten the laws of finance, okay, because that's not called an asset, that's actually called a liability, where you have to pay money to keep your money in this instrument called a bond. Well, they managed to do and pull the wool over everybody's eyes for so long, but when do people wake up? When there's a crisis like what happened in Great Britain and with the, the, uh, uh, there was an investing strategy that was built on leverage and levering long bonds to increase their return. And guess what, when you leverage something, Not only do do returns increase, but negative returns increase. So they lost three times their money. They lost 100% of their value over a short period of time because they were levered. So that's when people start figuring this out. And then they go to their government and say, please rescue my pension. And the government says, well, you know what? I want to get elected next year. So I am going to rescue your pension. And I'm going to pretend that it was a good thing to do. Except what did they really do? They kick it. Stairs to the coffers of the government. So every financial crisis always kicks the financial responsibility one level higher to the level of sovereign debt, the government. Well, guess what? There's no further place you can kick it now, and that's why we are where we are. You've consistently kicked the problem up a level to to reside on the balance sheets of the sovereign debt nations. You know it's going to collapse, and it'll happen in stages it's not i'm not predicting the end of the usa treasury market anytime soon because you're going to have to see the end of the canadian bond market before that and you'll have to see the end of a lot of other bond markets before you see the end of the canadian bond market it'll start at the lower nations and work themselves up to the g7 nations eventually and the usa doesn't get acting gear and put some uh, bitcoin on its balance sheet and also Enforce Bitcoin as a store of value, while at the same time defending the US dollar as global reserve currency. So you'll have a reserve asset called Bitcoin, you'll have a reserve currency called the US dollar. It can still work, but you better start planning for it right now. Not happening tomorrow, luckily, because there's no other other alternatives. But you'll see these weaker nations gradually fail, and you'll see a G7 country like Canada fail, and then I'm going to move to the USA if you guys have me, but Larry will be keeping me at the, at the border, not allowing me to come down because he doesn't want poor immigrants into, into the United States. So you got to solve this whole thing, right? And it's, it, it happens piecemeal. It happens in steps. But eventually, everything always goes to the top rung of the risk takers. And by the way, there's no such thing as a risk-free asset anymore. And Luke Grohman, a friend of both Larry's and mine, uh, writes about this often. U.S. Treasury debt is not risk-free. If it was, why are people then paying deep for default insurance on the U.S. Treasury bond? There are people that are out there buying default insurance on the U.S. Treasury bond. That's not a risk-free asset, people, because paying something for it. They view them there being a very small but not zero chance that the U.S. the U.S. Treasury false So be very careful with the definition of risk-free. Does not exist anymore. Never did exist. It was just taught to us in school that it was actually that way. And then we go out and we start practicing this financial chicanery. And then we realize holy shit, you can't keep printing something forever without eventually paying the piper. So you see it happen in third world countries, and then you'll see it happening in, you know. Developed countries, but not the USA, but the mathematics works everywhere the same way. Debt is a disease. It's a fiat disease. And this disease is starting to eat the carcass right now. So be very careful. There is no such thing as a risk-free asset, except Bitcoin, except we don't measure it properly, but Bitcoin <laughs> is actually your risk-free asset. Nobody has thought about that yet.
2: Yeah. I just, I thought about the risk fee yeah. yield of Luna when, <laughs> just immediately when they were yeah, saying right. that was risk-free too, huh? Oh man. Well, so uh, that was let's, the let's... Fiat
1: Ponzi recreated, you know, that was yeah. a centralized yeah, shape recreating the Fiat True. Ponzi.
2: True. Um, let's, let's pivot a little bit to, uh, to the recent FOMC meeting because it kind of touches on what we're talking about here. Um, you know, I think some market participants wanted Powell to push back a little bit on these rising speculative markets, especially after how much money was printed the last several years. Uh, but he he didn't really. He kind of contradicted himself um, in that press conference. He he spoke about how it was almost a premature victory on inflation. How it's very positive that they're seeing all this disinflation everywhere. And then at the same time, he said, "Well, there's still inflation though. It's still high." So he kind of contradicts himself. But the market liked it, and market. Uh, you know, assets rallied after that presser um, and financial conditions continue to loosen over the last couple of months. I wanted to read a, a short thread from this FinTwit account, uh, Carlo Cassio K- yeah. Kitty. He's um, yeah, he's great. He's great. But I wanted to get your reaction to this. Um, he says, the Fed committed a massive policy mistake by not pushing against market pricing cuts that started in Q4 2022. While they used all sorts of spurious bullshit to dance around their transitory, disastrous fallacy, they, now are the, they are now the only possible recipient of blame. With rising net disposable incomes, fiscal and monetary impulses fully faded, labor market burning hot, all-time high home equity, available access savings stocks still high, inflation is about to accelerate, and they are firmly behind the curve how long they remain behind the curve will be crucial in determining how high they need to hike but whatever that number is it's much higher than the current terminal and so what do you guys think of that take because i kind of agree with him i i lean towards that inflation is more entrenched than they think it's going to be stickier than think with these uh you know labor labor's super tight and got a lot of wage pressures and i think that they're probably behind the curve and they'll probably actually need to hike higher than they expect to what do you guys think I think
0: that 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 is accurate and that's what they should do. But I think what they're setting themselves up to do is to rejigger the inflation numbers, claim victory, even though they don't have victory. They're making a bet that the economy is going to slow down. And I think the economy will slow down. There's a lag effect. And um, I don't think they'll go beyond the five or five and a quarter terminal rate. And then we will get another wave of inflation and they'll... Their figuring is they'll deal with that when that happens. That, um, you know, it's, it, it, it strikes me when I looked at Paul and what he said in this last presser, I think, and, and Roman said this in one of his most recent letters, I think he realized how trapped he is. And I think, I think he's chosen to try and pretend to be Volker, but not really be Volker and uh, let it run hot. And he'll just say, you know, look, um, he'll, he'll try to pretend that he's been a hard ass, even though he hasn't. Remember, Volcker had to take rates at 20 percent. We're a long ways away from 20 percent to tame that inflationary psychology. So I don't know how he realistically thinks that being at 5 percent is going to get us where he wants to go. But I think he's aware of how at risk the economy is if he goes a lot beyond that. So I think he's going to I think he's gonna let. I think he I think he realizes he's going to be Burns and he's going to let it happen while using rhetoric that makes pretending to be Volcker. And when it doesn't work, he's going to blame it on the market or something other than himself. My guess is he'll get out and pass the baton to somebody else.
1: Yeah. So what do you think? Let's let's be careful because so Volcker had a total debt to GDP number that was in the 60s and Powell Sorry. has a total debt to GDP number that's twice that size, 120% of GDP. So it's absolutely impossible for Powell to take rates to 20% because then the debt spiral just implodes at a much faster rate, okay? These are the numbers. The last two years, the average coupon on the government debt was 1.5%, okay? And the, the interest burden was $400 billion annually. Now, with a combination of higher debt levels because of deficits, as well as higher interest rates, the average coupon is going to be 3%, and it's going to be close to a trillion dollars annually, as Larry mentioned. That's at 3%, guys. That's a trillion dollars. That's 25% of tax revenues. Wait until the current 10-year rate rolls into the funding as an average funding rate, And you're going to be over 1.2 trillion. That's at a four and a half or four percent rate. Put the same number in there at 20 percent, guys, and you are running a deficit that is five times larger than your total tax revenue because of the interest burden. Now, please, guys, stop. Full stop. You can be that guy who just did that. I'm not sure who he was. It sounded funny. The problem is when you realize how the math works, you're like, it's impossible. You cannot do this. So there was the guy from, uh, um, oh, that's Starwood Trust. Uh, Who's the guy? He was on with CNBC. And he's doing the math with Joe Kernan, Sternlich, Barry Sternlich. He's doing the math with Joe Kernan and and, uh, knucklehead Alex Ross Sorkin and uh, Becky Quick. And he's running through the math, and you can see these guys, and they're like, whoa, like, oh, my God. And then they sort of, okay, cut to commercial, okay? We can't, we can't actually tell the U.S. audience the mathematics behind this. Go go to commercial, you know, blah, 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 get them off the air. They hook them off or change the subject because the math doesn't work. So you can be anything you want when you have a 60% total debt to GDP, You can be the inflation-fighting Batman, and yeah, you can take rates to 20%, but do that when it's 120% of GDP and growing, because our deficits, spending and fiscal spending and all this stuff, build a bridge to heaven, and a bridge to Pennsylvania from fucking Seattle, hey, dude, can't fucking suck and blow, okay? You can either spend the money and go into a debt spiral, or you can... Keep interest rates artificially low, but you can't do both, okay? So I just am so sick of this fake mathematics. And when the people on TV finally point it out, they don't want to listen. They're like, oh, please tell me that's not true. It's like me having a fourth credit card to pay the interest on my first three credit cards. You think that's actually responsible fiscal governance? No. Well, that's exactly what the government's doing. So like it or not, even if inflation runs hot, you can't fight it by raising rates. Why? Because you'll just accelerate this debt burden. And they could keep printing money to do it. It just means your debasement accelerates as well. So all paths lead to Bitcoin and hard assets. Never seen a simpler trade in my whole life. That being said, no one else is listening. So
2: Sounds like yeah, opportunity. We're awesome. Yeah, I'm listening. Um, that was great. I so what do you say to Charlie Munger then? Because Charlie Munger is going uh, writing Wall Street Journal op eds, calling for an upright ban and praising you know the CCP for their uh, you know reaction to Bitcoin. If Charlie was in the room with us right now, what what would you guys say to him, Larry? I'll let you go first.
0: I'd tell him to go fuck himself. I mean, <laughs> you know, I think he's. I think he's a fucking asshole contillionaire. i mean he's he said so many evil things i mean the guy i just I absolutely hate the guy as a prick um you know basically um you know he got rich off a fiat system that he played like a fiddle and as uh as my friend Mark Jeskovic said you know he wants to he wants to pull the uh the ladder up behind him and let everybody else you know suffer um he he doesn't see any of the benefit of Bitcoin. He he conflates Bitcoin with crypto. Um, you know he's uh, he's a contillionaire. He's a perfect example of what he himself said, which is show me the incentives. I'll show you the outcome. Well, the incentives for him are to live in a, f- a fiat system where he gets cheap access to the money, and that's what he's done. And he's used that to create you know hundreds of millions for himself, and if not billions for himself, uh, but at the expense of uh, the rest of the world and. Uh, you know, I, I find it very objectionable that he defends that system, uh, being smart enough to know how evil it is and how much it's benefited him. So I, I, I have nothing nice to say to that guy. I think he's a piece
1: of shit. Well, I love being on with Larry because uh, I'm going to actually say something that's going to be less uh, less pointed, but. Uh I'm not very good at having tact as well. So I've already told Charlie on another podcast, he can go fuck himself as well. So Larry, I'll agree with you on that. But uh, uh, Charlie is a contillionaire who understands the system and has made a lot of money off it. I'll agree with that as well. But he's giving poor advice to my children and my children's children. And for that, I'm very disappointed. Because um, if he does truly believe what he's saying, then he shouldn't be in a position of power like he is. And I believe he actually knows what he's saying and therefore is trying to, as Larry said, uh, uh, benefit him at the expense of a lot of other people in the world. So the only good thing I can bring to this discussion is an expression that I said today on a Swan Bitcoin Spaces with Alex. I said, Charlie Munger should not buy green bananas. And what does that mean? It means he may not be along long enough to see those bananas ripen. And that's a good thing so that we don't have to listen to his drivel anymore. And time takes care of a lot of stuff, okay? So Charlie Munger will go away uh, in due course because no one lived to infinity. Only Bitcoin goes to infinity. But Charlie Munger's time on this earth will pass. And we won't have to listen to his backward-looking view of life. And we can start looking forward or we can start looking to some forward-looking views of people who understand how technology actually works, not someone who came into this world where the horse and carriage was, you know, the primary mode of transportation. So wish <laughs> pushed the a happy life for the rest of his life, but it's not statistically going to be that much longer. So luckily, we don't have to listen to his drivel about how he made money on a system. Give proper advice, Ms. Bunger. I think you're probably a good person, but this spewing stuff about evil and then praising the, the Chinese uh, government, man oh man, someone's spiking your uh, uh, protein shakes with some fucking evil shit because you are telling yeah, absolute garbage to my kids and my kids' kids.
0: Yeah, I don't know how you get to the good person, Park Foss. I don't see any of it. You know, yeah, I mean, anybody who believes that the government should be able to ban something—ban software, ban code, ban speech—I mean, that's just so anti-libertarian, anti—the the correct ethics in, in, of my view of how the world ought to operate. That I just—I have no tolerance for the guy whatsoever. Yeah. I, don't, I don't listen to him. I don't, you know, it's—it's. It's, I mean, praising the the Chinese government, you know, for banning something. Okay, fine. Right. Um, you know, I don't. Not, I don't. Not what I believe.
2: Yeah. I don't wish the man ill will or anything, but it does remind me of, you know, the quote, like innovation progresses one funeral at a time. Yeah. And and that's what I that's kind of what I think about here. Um, so we'll see. We'll see. I, I don't think he's gonna be around to see uh hyper bitcoinization, uh, unfortunately for him, but you know, <laughs> we will. Um, so let's move on to something that you guys are both working on, um, that I think is actually really cool, which is the the Bitcoin opportunity fund. Um From my understanding this is this is only available to qualified accredited investors um but you guys um, are building this thing with a few other people like corey Clipson, mark moss uh, david foley um why are you guys starting this fund now and and why do you think it's a good idea i would love to hear more about it
0: yeah let me take that one um look our view is that there are you know that, that what's going on in bitcoin is is big important and that while there are some outstanding Small Bitcoin venture capital funds. There's no um, hedge fund or investment vehicle with highly experienced partners focusing on the broader Bitcoin investment opportunities all the way across the capital structure, you know, debt, options, uh, equities, uh, Bitcoin itself, um, and later stage deals. And so our belief is that there's a need for a fund to fill that gap. And so we put together the best team of people that we could find. Uh, we all threw money and we all threw our hats in the ring, and we're going to uh, directly invest in these opportunities as we see them arise. And we think that there are a lot of pools of capital that want experienced managers to help them sort through and capture alpha in the Bitcoin space. And you know, James Lavish is kind of the senior partner in terms of day-to-day operations. Foley's right behind him. And then, you know, Greg, myself, Mark, Corey, et cetera, all kind of advisors, and we're all going to participate in the investment process. So the it's our belief that we can add real value in making the right choices for people who want to bet on Bitcoin over and above the coins. I mean, obviously, buying the coins themselves, great investment, no brainer. But there are a lot of opportunities outside of the coins that we've been identifying, and we think that there's a need for an institutional product. Is that accurate, Greg? From your point of view, I, I'll
1: just add this, um, Sam. That um, yes, it's a very qualified team that have seen their share of investment cycles. The cool thing about Bitcoin is the investment cycle of Bitcoin tends to be a lot shorter than regular economic cycle. Okay, um, and you've seen some, uh, you know, some peaks and valleys in the price of Bitcoin. Uh, That being said, I still think it's, you know, these are rounding error prices for Bitcoin. But what you need is uh, an experienced team that understands that over any cycle, there are times when you should be a better buyer and a better seller. And one of the things that I like about this product is we are actually going to be able to short traditional finance businesses as a hedge because the economic cycle of traditional finance is right now moving into an area where people are overpaying for traditional finance assets and underpaying for Bitcoin and Bitcoin ecosystem assets, and we think you can hedge the two. Um, and it, you know, it's it, it'll take time. Um, this is a product that there's an expression, Sam. When they're throwing money at you, you should be giving them the money back. And when you're asking them for money, nobody wants to give you money because they're scared, right? That's why prices move in the in the opposite direction of uh, supply. So at the top of a market, everyone's yelling; they're begging you to start a fund at the top of a market, meaning the high price. And then at the bottom of the market, when you should be starting it, which is where we are starting it right now, most people are scared. They have their hands in their pockets. they you know whether it's with TradFi assets or with the digital assets, Um, this is where we take a long view on it and we're establishing this fund over a period of 10 years where we think there's gonna be a lot of different opportunities, whether it's the shorter cycles of Bitcoin and Bitcoin mining or the longer economic cycles of a traditional bull bear market in, uh, in the economy, we, we like to match those two. So Larry's got a lot of expertise, myself, Mark Moss, Corey Swan. It's a bit of a goofy statistic, but we easily get to over 100 years of investing experience. I'll, I'll couch that saying this, Larry. The only thing I bring to the table is 35 years of mistakes, okay? That being said, I've never let any of these mistakes kill me. And managing risk is all about changing your investment thesis as the information changes, Okay so that's what i like to say that we're going to be part of this and we have a experienced crew it has lived through their share of crazy markets either super cheap or stupid rich markets and all we can bring to the table is our investing acumen. that will try to reduce risk and maintain the same level of return or alternatively increase the level of return for the same level of risk it's both Things happen when you bring an experienced management team to uh, the table. its uh, I look forward to the day when large pools of institutional money will look to invest in this type of asset or uh, fund. The truth is you have to have a five-year track record to attract any serious institutional money. And get a five-year track record, you have to start it. And so we're starting it. We're going to get high net worth individuals and accredited investors at the outset, but hopefully, five years down the road, this will be the investment platform of choice for really big pools of capital. And uh, Larry and I and uh, Mark and Corey will play second fiddle to the expertise of David Foley and James Lavish. But those two guys in themselves are some very experienced uh, investors. So I'm happy to be part of it.
0: Yeah, Sam, the, the timing is good, right? We're in a bear market, so that's the right time. I mean, we're, we're seeing some really outstanding opportunities. And so our yeah. belief is that people who are willing to invest in a bear market, you know, are going to reap the rewards of that. And and as Greg points out, you know, we're going to move around such that we're going to try to take down the, the you know, the risk. Um, yeah. When, when everybody's totally overexcited and everything's going nuts, you know, we're, we're going to be on the other side. We're going to be dialing it back. You know yeah
2: uh, no it sounds exciting and um, you know trying to beat the benchmark Bitcoin uh, right. but if there's any team to do it it's you guys uh, with your experience and you know talk to James about it as well and um, yeah. it's really exciting when you look out at the industry and all the opportunities all these uh, distressed assets and and the prices of you know say public mining companies are just in the gutter and everybody else all these other VC funds seem to blow blow their load if you will During the bull market, you just see it in their funding and the amount of deals that happen. And now there's like not a lot at all. So that's perfect time to start a fund like this. Right.
0: And we will own some of the coins. And I mean, like an example of the kind of thing we could do, like we're so confident about the coins longer term that right now we could we could write puts on Bitcoin at 16, 15, 14, 10, 9. And our view would be, you know, and, and, and so if it never goes there, we'd collect those put premiums. Right. But in turn, you know, my view is if Bitcoin goes to nine, back up the truck, right? I mean, we'd yeah. be very happy to write those puts and have the Bitcoin put to us at nine, because we're quite convinced that it's not going down to the prior low of thirty five hundred. So that's gotcha. the kind of thing that we think we can do, that will, again, as Greg yeah. says, kind of create a better risk reward trade off, so you can invest in this area, in in a, in a sane
2: way, in our view. Yeah. Bringing that risk management and and we got to be experience. careful. Sam, you guys have a ton of
1: network, right? Well, Go it's, on, it's, we got to be possible. careful. Sorry, yeah, we got to be careful. Our benchmark will not be to be out per, to outperform Bitcoin per se. It will be to provide a superior return for a lower level of risk. And that's you right. know, there's a lot of people that just can't stop the volatility of regular Bitcoin. And so, whether you write puts or you write covered calls. Whether you uh, play volatility strategies and uh, and extract vol from the, the options market, all of these are things that can be accomplished, uh, but you actually have to have that platform to do it. So we're we're excited to try and attract some money and uh, prove that uh, that we can add value. And as Larry says, add alpha on on a calculation like a sharp ratio relative to the volatility of Bitcoin, et cetera, et cetera.
2: Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great, that's a great correction. You guys, you guys are aiming to maximize risk adjusted returns, correct? Uh, which is great. Um, I got one more question for you guys real quick. You know, one a popular book is the fourth turning in Bitcoin by Neil Howe and William Strauss. And they talk about great champions in there. And that's the uh, profit generation. That's your guys' generation. Um, <laughs> great champions are people who are active during the fourth turning, sharing their wisdom and experience and reminding us of the big picture and that's what I look at you guys, and I consider you guys a, a great cha- champions. Respectfully, of course. Um, so I got, I want two questions for you guys. One is, what would you say to your fellow, um, you know, baby boomers, you know, people of your age who are watching this, who are just getting into Bitcoin? And then also, what advice would you have for younger people, let's say like Gen Z and other young folks just entering this market and investing in general right now? So maybe a piece of advice for the young folks, and then a piece of advice for your fellow. Uh, baby boomers or people of your age who are getting into
1: Bitcoin.
0: Go first, Foss.
1: <laughs> well, sure. It's a it's a great question. So for both uh, for both uh, cohorts, I would say you need to study. You need to understand that when something like the automobile was first introduced, people said ah. What I really want is a faster horse. I don't want this thing called an automobile. I want a faster horse. And uh, then they realize, okay, you know, technology changes things. For both sports, understand that the world is going to change uh, parabolically. There's a a Luke Broyles uh, is a new guy that I'm starting to follow on Twitter. Had a great thread about how we currently have more in common with the uh, man or woman that grew up in the year 23, so 2000 years ago, then we're gonna have in common with the person who lives 100 years into the future, so in the year 2123, That's how fast things are changing. So understand that there's a level of acceleration of technology that's gonna change the world so much that you can't possibly think that Charlie Munger has any fucking clue what he's talking about, okay? That's the opportunity for both cohorts. Now, the people that are going to embrace it more are going to be the Gen Z. You have longer to live. You can afford to lose some of your savings if you're wrong. But Bitcoin, don't, don't shitcoin. And the only wrong allocation to Bitcoin is having zero or, God forbid, your shortest thing because you're too smart by a half, okay? Understand that Bitcoin could be the greatest asymmetric trade opportunity and investment opportunity I've ever seen in my life. And you're supposed to own some percentage of your portfolio. I argue that you got to start at 5% and you should be comfortable owning between 5 and 10%. That's for both cohorts. Larry and I own a little bit more than that, but neither of us own 100% because you don't have to own 100% participate in the asymmetry of the upside of this great trade and investment opportunity. Don't overthink things. Understand you got to learn and you got to manage risk properly.
0: Yeah. I would just say to both my cohort and the younger cohorts, take the time to do the work. I mean, the thing I've been most surprised by is how some very successful people who've done very well in the investing game, haven't done their homework. I mean, it's just like, Really? I mean, this is an amazing technological innovation. It really is. That's what it is. It's a new they, You know, we solved a bunch of guys because I think Satoshi is a group, not one person. Solved the issue of immutable digital scarcity, beyond a doubt. We've got 750,000 plus blocks that prove that. We've got 14 years of of error free transactions that prove it. And, and And it's a big, big, big deal. You know, it is like an airplane or a car or a printing press or whatever it might be. Digital scarcity is going to change the world. Bitcoin is going to change the world. And so what I would say to most people, I think far too many people my age, particularly, but even many younger people, just they blow it off. They just kind of like, ah, yeah, whatever, FTX, crypto, bunch of bullshit, you know, they don't take the time to dig in and differentiate and understand what it really is. I mean, I think the first thing I would just say, most people who are listening to this have probably already done this, but I always start off by handing out copies of the Bitcoin standard by safe. I mean, I think that's, you know, the most compelling argument for Bitcoin ever written. I think that book will go down in history. I think, you know, I think the entire country should read that book. And uh, it's as important as the fourth turning. And then I think once that gets you started, you know, then you work towards your X thousand hours of really understanding all the issues, the difficulty adjustment, the halvings, you know, the, the adoption, the use cases, um, remittances, you know, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, there's a perfect example. I mean, you know, Charlie Munger thinks Bitcoin is evil. Oh, really? You know, how, how about all the poor people in the world who live in currency regimes where they basically have their money stolen from them constantly? And yet Bitcoin provides them, provides them with, a, with a sound money alternative. I mean, you know, he doesn't think about guys like that because he, he doesn't interact with people like that. He interacts with billionaires. So, um, yeah. you know, I would just say to people my age, young, it doesn't matter what age you're at, you've got to take the time to, under, to do the work and understand what this thing is. Because once you understand that, you will become as enthusiastic as all of those of us who do understand it are. It'll become self-evident to you that we're not preaching here. We're just trying to educate people about something that appears obvious to us. And that and that once you understand it, it will probably appear obvious to you as well. And then you'll go, oh, I get it. And And by the way, you know, everyone buys Bitcoin at the price they deserve. Right. And so the sooner you understand it and you start making an allocation to this, I mean, today, you know, it's within the reach of many, many people to be a whole coiner. You know, I mean, I, I I suspect that my grandkids will say, "Holy shit, you're a whole coiner," because there won't, you know, being a whole coiner when when being a whole coiner, you know, costs a million bucks. There aren't going to be a lot of whole coiners, right? And so, you know, it's it's going to change, right? And 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 we're still everyone says, "Well, I'm too late." I, you know, I hear about these stories of people who bought it at three hundred or whatever. Well, it, it all depends. I mean, if it goes to ten million, are you too late buying it at twenty thousand? I don't think so. You know, so so I, I would just suggest that people take the time to do the work. That's what I continually emphasize to people. I mean, I I I had dinner with some, you know, 80-year-old guys the other day, and I sent them money on a moon wallet and they were blown away. They were like, hang on a second, there's no bank involved. Right. How much did it cost you to send me that? I was like, Well, it was like 17 sats. It's like a fifth of a penny or something. They're like, No. I was like, Yeah. <laughs> Is it, you know, can you see how this is going to change the world? Yeah. I mean, they kind of got it. And they both, by the way, they both ended the dinner like, well, how do I buy this? And I led them to Swan and off we go. But, you know, the, the point is that it's going to happen. It's just, it's inevitable. And so, you know, you can decide you're going to ignore it and that will be costly as an error, or you can decide you're going to understand it and that will, I think, benefit you. So that, those would be, my, that would be my advice.
2: Yeah, just maybe, I think even Bitcoiners um, almost like take it for advantage how amazing it is that we could send money so quickly without any intermediary. Like we've almost gotten used to it, right? Right. But it is, it is an amazing thing. And for people who first experience it, like your friends, I mean, it's it's just mind blowing. Yeah, they like, were like, oh, there's
0: what? There's no, I mean, I, I pushed the no button way. and it was in their account. Yeah. yeah. And, and look, we've got Venmo and we've got PayPal, but this was like, I was like, nobody knows that we did this.
2: Nobody can yeah. trace
0: this, you know, it's, it's all on lightning as we all know, you know, it's, it's, it's powerful. It's really it's powerful. Yeah.
2: Yeah. You, and you got to do the work. You, you can lead a horse to water, but you know, they got to do themselves. Yeah. And, and, um, and, there, are, and there are work. lots
0: of FUD merchants who are trying to prevent you from doing the work. And generally yeah. speaking, those FUD merchants have a, a vested interest in the old system. Right.
2: Amen to that. Well, <laughs> thank you so much, guys. You, you guys have both been really generous with your time. Um, where can people follow you if they want to want to catch your tweets or or
0: Hey follow you your back work? on Twitter or are you are you uh, still on holiday? <laughs> I'm
1: doing my best to uh <laughs> I'm doing my best to regulate my involvement but yeah I, I still look at DMs on Twitter and I occasionally tweet. I have to retweet brilliant stuff by Lynn Alden and uh, yourself Larry and James Lavish but um yeah I'm on Twitter Sam um I actually went to Noster, but I have no idea what I'm doing. So I don't go to Noster yet. Uh, but uh, I want to add one thing. For all those people that think they're too late, I will categorically state that Bitcoin is less risky and a better investment today at 23,000 US dollars than it was when I got involved in 2016 at $1,000. OK, why is that? Because we've seen the response to government, of government, to this thing called the COVID crisis, which absolutely makes Fiat debasement 100% certain. It's just the rate of acceleration of the debasement. So you're going in the spiral and it's coming quickly, people. Don't overthink it. If you listen to Charlie Munger, you're a fool. Charlie Munger has no clue what he's talking about. And if he does, it's because he's a conflicted idiot. So listen to the kids, listen to people who understand the technology and welcome to the greatest financial innovation ever, Bitcoin. Yeah.
2: Larry, where can people oh, you?
0: You can't top that. I'm on Twitter, at Lawrence. Yeah, at you're Art. on Twitter. Just, yeah. Yeah, just go there. And my website's there too. I've got, I write quarterly letters. They're free. Talk about macro.
2: Yeah, they're great. They're great. Thanks. Well, thanks, guys. And, um, you know, if anybody's interested in what they're building at the Bitcoin Opportunity Fund, again, it's for qualified accredited investors. You can go to Bitcoin Opportunity Fund if you're interested in that. And just thank you guys so much for joining me today. Um, It's been a great conversation. If you like this, uh, make sure you subscribe uh, to the Swan Bitcoin channel so that you get notifications so you don't miss any of our upcoming content. Um, We have some great shows lined up for you coming up over the next couple months. So you're you're not going to want to miss it. So if you're listening on a podcast or on YouTube, make sure you like it. Make sure you subscribe it. Uh, We really appreciate the support. And I'll see you next week.